As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. The C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hi there, welcome back. It's Justin Briley, head of Premier Unbelievable. I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis. His writings have shaped my own thinking and faith in so many ways. And I love sitting down with Alistair McGrath for this show. Currently, we're continuing our journey through several of Lewis's shorter writings. And as you'll hear, The Weight of Glory, which we're looking at today, is a sermon that Lewis preached at the University Church of St. Mary the Virgin in Oxford in 1941. It's widely regarded as one of his most significant short works, focusing on the way our human longings in this world point to another world that we were made for. By the way, thanks to Fluffy Socks, who left this review for us, says, I've always wanted to spend time learning more about C.S. Lewis, given how important he is to Christianity. I'm really enjoying the podcast so far. Thank you for that. If you can leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts, a good one preferably, uh, it helps others to discover the show as well. And of course, you can discover more yourself by registering for our newsletter at premierunbelievable.com. You'll get access to bonus content, a free ebook, and much more. Plus, you can support us from there too. We recently launched Premier Unbelievable on a new footing as a multimedia apologetics and theology ministry. We would love you to get behind us in that if you can. Again, premierunbelievable.com and click donate to get involved that way. For now, here's today's show. Well, we're nearly approaching the end of this uh, season of shows where we've been looking at some of the shorter works of C.S. Lewis with Alistair. Um, And we come now to what many people consider one of his finest pieces of writing outside of his, you know, longer books, Alistair, The Weight of Glory. Um, It's got an intriguing title and perhaps we'll come to that as as we go along. But tell us uh, about the background to this. Uh, This was, I believe, first uh, delivered as a sermon in Oxford, wasn't it? Well, Oxford has what they call university sermons, and these are sermons preached during um, term time in the University Church of St. Mary's, and attendance is optional, but they very often will draw large crowds, especially, of course, when someone like C.S. Lewis is speaking, and the university sermon that we're talking about, The Weight of Glory, was preached in June 1941, and it's a remarkable sermon, and, you know, I, I, like many people, I, I find it's one of Lewis's most most worthwhile works and I keep coming back to it it's so good mm, there's lots of quotes uh when as I was reading through it I thought yes I've seen this posted many a time in social media feeds and things there's lots of quotable stuff in there and perhaps one of the easiest ways of going through it will be to to just quote and get your reflections from various parts of it but can you give us a sense of the the overall kind of scope of what Lewis is talking about here in this in this sermon well, it's a very rich sermon. It's only 5,500 words long, but he covers a lot of ground. I think one of them is that, um, 
you know, you've got to realize that um, nothing in this world really satisfies. They are pointing beyond themselves to the greater reality of God, who in the end is the only one who's able to satisfy. Now, Lewis illustrates this in many ways, but it's a very important theological point. But nevertheless, one thing about Lewis is he makes theology enjoyable by giving us some wonderful analogies, some wonderful passages that help us to understand these points. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so interesting. But I think the main point to bring out, this is about reflecting on desire, on joy, and realizing where they come from, where they lead us, and also giving us hope that actually the uh, intimations of joy and hope actually are grounded in some deeper reality, which, of course, is God himself. Mm. Here's a quote from near the beginning of the sermon. Um, He says, Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Would you like to comment on that opening element? Well, it's a wonderful quote. We are far too easily pleased. I mean, what Lewis is saying really is that very often we sort of way focus on little things that are around us and fail to see the even better things that are in the in the distance. In other words, that um, we're distracted by um, inadequacies and as a result fail to see um, what's really important, what really matters, or to use. Uh, Lewis's own language, we are distracted by second things when we ought to be seeing first things. And I think what Lewis is really saying here is that God has to find a way of, in effect, saying to us, look, look, you're missing this. You need to see this bigger picture. That's what really matters. And asking how on earth we do our apologetics to help people see this particular point. Here's another quote um, from, from the talk. The books or the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trust to them. It was not in them. It only came through them. And what came through them was longing. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past are good images of what we really desire. But if they are mistaken for the thing itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers. For they are not the thing itself. They are only the scent of a flower we have not found, the echo of a tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. Such, such a wonderful turn of phrase there. What, what's behind it, though, Alistair? Well, first of all, it uses some wonderful visual images. They're very often images of separation, the scent of a flower we haven't found. In other words, something beyond us. And what, what we're experiencing, if I can put it like this, is um, a distant meadow and the scent is wafting towards us, but we haven't found it, but we know there's something there. And we're, we're kind of sensitized to say there is something there. I wonder where it is. Is it worth finding? So Lewis is very, very good at using imagery and language. But the point he's making here is that very often we have this sense of longing for beauty or joy. And we think that this thing or this person or this relationship will deliver it because we need that. And then we discover it doesn't. In effect, that relationship or that object may catalyze our sense that there is something really worth having that we haven't found yet. But that thing itself does not 
deliver what we're looking for. And that's why Lewis is saying it's, you know, longing, beauty. These are things that are signposted, but the signposts are not saying here it is. It's saying over there, it's pointing mm. beyond itself. And what Lewis is really trying to get across is that we need to be, need to be aware that these longings are so deep that only something that is immensely wonderful can satisfy them. And very often we simply end up, you know, with mud pies when a beautiful mm. holiday on the beach is what we're really looking for. We need to amplify our understanding of who we are, what we're made for, and the immense joy that comings, that comes from actually meeting this God who made us in order to relate to him. Yes. And, and it goes back to, you know, what we were talking about in the last episode, the, the, the first and second things, you know, chase the secondary things and you'll have missed the point. It's only when we chase the first thing that we get those those things. I mean, it, it also evokes in me again, as we've said before, so many of these writings sort of intermingle with, you know, his later writings. But when when in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he talked about that experience of that longing, um, the stabs of joy, as he mm. calls them, uh, from his childhood. And uh, and yet knowing that if he went back and tried to recapture that, it it wouldn't be the same. You know, it it, it would have gone in the, the very act of trying to kind of rekindle something that was of that moment would would immediately snuff it out. There's there's some sense in which he he says we we can't we constantly feel this sense of nostalgia of, of wanting to grasp for that that moment of joy. But as soon as we try to do it, it evades us because that's not the thing that's we've sort of. By, by almost focusing on it and making that the primary thing, we've we've lost the the scent. You know, it's, it was always actually just a scent of something drawing us onto something deeper. Uh, yeah, go ahead, Alistair. That, that's my, well, that was my thought on it. That, that's a good thought. And I, certainly, it's very important for Lewis. And one of the points that Lewis is making is that um, we need something that's going to break this spell, which makes us think that, that, that the only source of beauty and joy and wonder and satisfaction is things that are in this world, you know, so for form of materialism. And what Lewis is saying, we need some way of being offered an expanded vision of things. So we can see what we're really here for, what's really going to satisfy us. And until that happens, we are not going to be satisfied because we are constantly going to be frustrated and dissatisfied, driven on to the next thing in the hope that this will finally deliver what we're really looking for. Mm. And he, at one point in this, he kind of almost delivers a, a form of the argument from desire where he talks about, you know, um, the fact that uh, people are hungry and so on doesn't prove that we have bread, but it proves that we're made to need nourishment like that. Um, uh, he, he says, um, uh, here then is the desire still wandering and uncertain of its object and still largely unable to see that object in the direction where it really lies. Our sacred books give us some account of the object. It is, of course, a symbolic account. Heaven is, by definition, outside our experience but all intelligible descriptions must be of things within our experience. The scriptural picture of heaven is therefore just as symbolic as the picture which our desire unaided invents for itself. Heaven is not really full of jewellery any more than it's really the beauty of nature or a fine piece of music. Um, the difference is the scriptural imagery has authority. And, and so he seems to be saying, you know, if, if our desire is for another country, for this, this other place, there's, there's some sense in which all of those things which seem to point to it however symbolic they may picture language, they will find their fulfillment in that, even if we can't fully describe it in the end. 
Well, I think that's right. And that, that certainly is a theme we find in Lewis's first published book, which, of course, is The Pilgrim's Regress. Very difficult book. But this idea there is this mysterious island. And once you arrive there, you find the joy that you don't find anywhere else and allows you to see things as they really are. So for Lewis, there's a, a very, very important point. I think what, what Lewis is really doing for me is asking us, how we are able to, um, in effect, say to a wider culture, there is something that is able to satisfy in the way in which other things like reputation or wealth do not. And that's why at one point in the sermon, Lewis begins to use the language of magic, not in a sort of occult way, but rather saying um, we have been we've been trapped inside a spellbound world where in effect we have diminished sense of who we are, a diminished sense of what there is for us and an absence of hope because we believe we can't find it. And so Lewis is really saying we need to find a way of breaking this spell that the world has cast upon us. So we in effect are able to see properly for the first time and be able to um, realize there are other options available. And so for Lewis, um, I think the big question is, how do we break the spell of worldliness or materialism that has been cast over the world? I think that's a really interesting mm. language. And Lewis is saying, really, that we need to break this spell and realize there is a better vision of humanity on offer and enter it. And, and he goes on in, in the, the sermon to talk about the fact that it's not just that we need to know, in a sense, about God. Um, in a sense, that's the least important thing he says. What's really important is that God knows us, that we are seen by God. Um, and and I'll give you another quote here. He says, the promise of glory, in the sense described, becomes highly relevant to our deep desire. For glory meant good report with God, acceptance by God, response, acknowledgement and welcome into the heart of things. The door on which we have been knocking all our lives will open at last. There's this sense that that it's you know, all, all of our longings and so on are actually ultimately about that acceptance being known by God in the end. That's that's what the ultimate prize reward is in the end. Well, that's right. I mean, I often think of a, a very famous prayer that Augustine of Hippo prayed about the year 420 or so. He said, uh, you have made us for yourself and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And yet recognizing your restlessness is a very important way of beginning to say, how do I satisfy this desire? I think for Lewis, really desire brings us to a door and it, the door itself doesn't bring satisfaction. It's what lies through it. But if you like, everything within us is saying there is a door into another world. And it's by entering that that everything is changed and transformed. You discover who you really are, why you're really here, and you're given meaning and dignity in this life. I think for Lewis, it's very important not to allow yourself to be distracted by, again, you know, focusing on second things, but to try and find this first thing towards which all these second things are pointing. Mm. And, and as we've said before, that you know, if we get lost in the distractions of the secondary things, we, we, we lose ourselves in the process. We lose the joy that those things could, can bring us when they're in their proper place and so on. Um, there, there's another quote here I'll, I'll give you at present, continuing that metaphor of the door. He says, we are on the outside of the world, the wrong side of the door. We discern the freshness and purity of morning, but they do not make us fresh and pure. We cannot mingle with the splendors we see. 
but all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumour that it will not always be so. Someday, God willing, we shall get in. Speak to that one, Alistair. Oh, it's a wonderful quote, uh, that. I mean, basically what Lewis is saying is, you know, we have this sense of alienation or dissatisfaction or existential angst. You know, this isn't right. This is not where we're meant to be. Uh, Things have got to be better than this. There has to be more to life than that. All these deep intuitions, which Lewis knew so well, press in on us and are saying, it doesn't have to be like this. Somewhere there is a way of finding a better place. And Lewis is simply saying that um, we're on the wrong side of a door, but A, there is a door, and B, someone's going to open that door for us. You know, it's a very powerful biblical image. And one of the things I think Lewis is really saying very powerfully is that um, we can struggle in hope because that door is there. But Lewis makes the point, you know, once we find it, it doesn't, you know, we, we still have to live in the world or things that mm. need our attention and so on. But everything has changed. We're seeing it in a new way. And that really is what's so important. And Lewis uses this phrase, the weight of glory, which actually comes from a sermon by John Donne, who was dean of St. Paul's Cathedral back in the 17th century. And the point that Lewis is, is really, that Donne is really making there is that glory is something weighty, something majestic. And once you discern it, it kind of way changes things completely. I think that's a very important point. It's not something that we can master. It's rather something that masters us. And I think Lewis here is drawing on Isaiah chapter six, which is, you know, when you see God in all of God's glory, then you are energized. You no, know, um, who, who shall I send? And mm. Isaiah says, well, send me, because he's been energized by this vision of a glorious God. And I see that theme and what Lewis is saying in the sermon. Mm. Uh, he, he ends it on a sort of practical note. He says, you know, wh- you may go away thinking, well, that's all very well talking about a future time and our, you know, the fulfillment of all things. What does that mean for me now? And he says, well, one practical way is it could make a difference to how you treat your neighbor. Um, and, and there's, again, a, a great quote here. Um, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub and exploit, immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. I mean, he really wants to, to convey the fact that we are, if in a sense, uh, made for more. And what that future will look like perhaps is dependent on the way we respond to Christ in this life. And But there's there's a sense in which he says, this should shape the way we treat each other because um, we, we, we are not simply, you know, parts of a material world. We are, we are, we are something God has created in a material world, but which has a, has a life beyond that world. You're absolutely right. And Lewis is saying we are too easily satisfied. We are made for glory, but we end up making mud pies in the slum. You know, and, and Lewis is saying we need to break free from this. We need to see this bigger vision we need to find that door we need to be transformed in our visions and okay we still live in this world but we now see it and see each other in a different way and that helps us keep us keeps us going and keeps us growing as we kind of grow into this bigger vision of life and find what we're really made for it's been great having you join me on the podcast today the weight of glory is again available in uh, various publications from lewis Uh, and equally online as well. But um, if you want more from the show, you can always find out more 
by visiting premierunbelievable.com. And of course, there are links from today's show to Alistair as well. But for now, thanks for being with me on today's show, Alistair. It's been a very great pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being with us today. Well, as we've been saying, these short writings of Lewis aren't too hard to get hold of um, online. This one, The Weight of Glory, is well worth your time if you've never read it before. And if you'd like to support what we're doing through the C.S. Lewis podcast, then do check out the link with today's show. It's the giving link. Or go to premierunbelievable.com for more. For now, God bless and see you next time. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.